This podcast is made possible by Host Analytics and U.S. Bank. Hello, this is Ken Goldman. Uh, I'm CFO of uh, Yahoo, and you are listening to the CFO Thought Leader Podcast, and uh, have fun listening. This is Episode 296. Hello, this is John Scully. I'm the former CEO of Pepsi and the former CEO of Apple. Let me give you a few ideas uh, of why finance is so incredibly important in building a company. From the Middle Market Executive Digital Network, this is CFO Thought Leader, where we talk to finance leaders about driving change within their organizations. This is Jack Sweeney, and on today's show, we feature an encore discussion we had with Apple's former CEO, John Scully, about the role finance has played in the creation of Zeta Interactive, now known as Zeta Global, a company Scully co-founded. Zeta's growth path is today responsible for a number of business headlines over the past few months. Our discussion with John Scully is featured right after these words from our sponsor. It's no secret finance professionals are dealing with some pretty complex problems these days. Now more than ever, they need tools that can help them streamline complex workflows and focus on bigger strategic issues. By bringing your finance organization together on a single cloud platform, Host Analytics automates everyday processes that would otherwise slow you down. By streamlining your planning, modeling, consolidation, reporting, and analytics, Host helps you connect your organization so you can react more quickly to changing conditions and make better business decisions to optimize performance. Let Host Analytics be your partner in leading the evolution of your business. Our guest is John Scully, the former CEO of Apple and a top Pepsi executive and co-founder of Zeta Interactive, a fast-growing data analytics company. John, welcome. Well, thank you, Jack, and I'm really excited to be able to talk to you about it today. Now, for those members of our audience who, for whatever reason, don't know about uh, the career of John Scully, he has one of the most talked about business career narratives of the last 50 years. And chapter one of Moonshot opens on the very So let me give you a few ideas uh, of why finance is so incredibly important in building a company. First of all, uh, finance is about making sure that a company has the resources to be able to scale. And one of the hardest challenges that uh, a company has to deal with is when it comes up with a product or service that is clearly a winner with customers then the focus has to shift towards execution and growth working capital. And do you have the management team in place to be able to uh, grow that company at the expansion stage? Well, the CFO plays a really key part in that because somebody has to keep score. 
Uh, somebody has to set the metrics in terms of how do we know uh, what we need when and how well we are doing. And so the CFO uh, is not a bean counter. The CFO plays a strategic role. And the way I like to look at it is always through the eyes of the customer. So when you are building a plan, a traditional business plan, and the CFO plays a big role in the, in the business plan, you know, usually looks at it as a budgeting process. In other words, they say, okay, here's what we accomplished last year. Here's what we're projecting we could do this year or next year. And therefore, you're starting an allocation budget process as, as to where do you allocate the money based on some priorities. The problem with that method is that it always looks backward. And so a, a really strategic CFO is going to look forward, uh, particularly in markets where there are changes going on, significant changes in terms of uh, what is possible, what competition is offering, what you can offer. Uh, maybe you want to shift the strategy of, of the business. So when you look forward, it's, it's much more strategic than when you're looking backward and trying to build a budget. And therefore, uh, what I talk about is what I call the customer plan. The customer plan eclipses the importance of the business plan because the customer plan looks at the metrics, and these are metrics that the CFO plays a key role in, not only in helping define with the CEO, but also in tracking the uh, metrics. More and more, you find that the CFO is dealing with information as much as they're dealing with money. So, for example... Uh, what's the cost of customer acquisition? What's the conversion rate of a customer when you have a campaign? What's the retention rate you have with customers? It astounds people when they realize how expensive it is to replace the sale of a lost customer. Typically, it's in the range of five to eight times more to replace the lost sales of a lost customer than if you had retained that customer in the first place. So the CFO plays a big role in terms of helping to find the metrics you're tracking and, you know, measuring, you know, what is actually getting done. So CFOs aren't just measuring money. Uh, they are looking at information and they're looking at metrics and more and more through the perspective of the customer plan. And so when you look at it from that vantage point, Jack, it really is saying the CFO is a very, very key strategic member of the team. And once you get the customer plan, you know, uh, crystallize, then you start to say, okay, how much growth working capital do I, do I need to support that plan as the business grows? The surprising thing to many new, uh, CEOs and even CFOs is that even the most successful companies, the faster they grow, you know, usually the more growth working capital they need. And so, uh, you would think that, you know, the faster a company grows, it must be throwing off a lot of cash. Well, in many, very successful companies actually are consuming a lot of cash the faster they grow. That's a key strategic issue for a CFO to deal with. So can you help us identify some of the uh, criteria uh, that what might help determine when it's the right time to bring in a CFO? Uh, in other words, an uh, entrepreneurial venture that has a bookkeeper, but now it's time to take it to the next level. Well, there really are uh, milestone moments when uh, you have to sort of uh, go back and, and ask the question. And boards, by the way, need to be you know, intimately involved in these types of conversations and decisions. So, for example, uh, let's say uh, you're at the point where a, a business has grown to a size that it is 
clear that it's um, going to need additional capital in the business. And so the CFO uh, or VP of finance, whatever title one wants to use at that point, um, now has to not only look at how do we manage what we have, but how do we build the story and start the process to go out and attract capital to come in and be our growth capital to take us to the next you know, important milestone in our business. And so that's a really a, a different set of uh, tasks, and it often requires a very different uh, kind of executive because the person who um, gets the books uh, started, sets up the general ledger, you know, is tracking the uh, financial you know, issues of receivables, payables, you know, working on balance sheet structures, things of that sort. That's a, a very different task than saying, okay, how do we uh, build the strategy and tell the story? And then who do we talk to? And how do we represent ourselves to prospective investors? And then nobody invests without doing a deep due diligence. So you have to set up a data room. So how do you set up a data room? Well, that's a very different skill than, you know, someone who is, you know, managing the uh, controllership of, of the company. So uh, there are moments when uh, you really do need to bring in additional skill. Uh, there may be moments that are even um, bigger moments publicly where you say, I want to take this company public. Um, and now your your role as the senior financial person is you're out uh, talking to um, investment bankers, uh, potential underwriters, you're talking to uh, potential uh, investors in the company you know, during the roadshow when the company's going to go public. And that's a whole different set of skills to be able to do that. There's some people who are CFOs who uh, may spend, uh, spend a few years at one company, and then when the company goes public, they stay there for another couple of years, and then they go off and want to repeat that process. And so they uh, move from company to company. Over the period of 10 years, they might work at maybe three different companies doing that, that type of job. So you have to look at what is the task that's required at what moment in the company's life. And it generally, if you look at it carefully, you'll see that there are different skill requirements at different stages of a company's growth and development. Uh, also, uh, companies in this day and age often are uh, merging with other companies or they're acquiring companies. Uh, I'm founder of a company called Zeta Interactive. Uh, we started out as a startup where we're now seven years later. Uh, we are a 700-person uh, marketing cloud data analytics company, uh, and we are growing at about 100% top line and close to 100% on the operating line. So it's very profitable, high growth, uh, about 700 employees, 300 engineers, 60 data scientists, you know, PhD data scientists. So. Uh, <clears throat> Who are your I customers? What are they? Uh, I'm sorry. Our, what are our, our customers, are, uh, we're not allowed to use their names, but they are uh, leaders in telecommunications. Uh, we do customer acquisition, uh, customer monetization, loyalty programs, things of that sort. We're a, a what's called a uh, database marketing you know, firm. We have 320 million profiled names. Uh, we run campaigns to uh, acquire and retain customers for large telecommunications companies, for large insurance companies, for uh, large credit card companies. And, um, you know, it's, the, the typical size account for us is anywhere from $5 million annual uh, revenue to us a year to, you know, $15 million annual revenue per customer. So 
um, it's, it's, it's a very good business to be in. And, uh, it's, it's the whole way in which marketing has, has, uh, moved over the last decade with, with cloud computing and data analytics. So, um, that's just, you know, one example. And how do we grow? We grow organically, but we've also been a big acquisitor of, um, other companies. So we've acquired probably, you know, six companies over the, the last three years. Thought Leader listeners, don't go anywhere. We have more of our interview after these words from our sponsor. You want smart, clear, and honest guidance to help you meet the financial goals of your middle market business. With U.S. Bank, you have a partner who will help you find the right solutions to help your organization reduce payment costs, enhance control, improve cash flow, and expand your spend visibility. U.S. Bank's dedication to making ethical decisions and doing the right thing is at the heart of what they do, and their efforts haven't gone unnoticed. They've been named a 2017 World's Most Ethical Company for the third consecutive year by the Ethisphere Institute. To learn more, visit uspayment.com slash middle market. And one of the hardest challenges that uh, a company has to deal with is when it comes up with a product or service that is clearly a winner with customers, then the focus has to shift towards execution and growth working capital. And so it was for John Scully when he first arrived at Apple. I couldn't resist asking Apple's former CEO about the cash dilemma he once faced. That dilemma arguably triggered Silicon Valley's most famous boardroom scuffle, now depicted in two Hollywood movies. Financially speaking, such a dilemma is rather ordinary, a situation many finance people deal with every day. Some win, some lose. Uh, At the time that I joined Apple, which was in the beginning of 1983, the Apple II was six years old. It was outsold by Commodore two to one. It was outsold by Atari two to one. It was outsold by the IBM PC that had been introduced 18 months earlier. And it was outsold by Radio Shack uh, TRS-80. So the Apple II uh, was not the leader in the personal computer industry, but it was the only source of cash flow in the company and it was an aging product. Steve Jobs was still more than a year away from introducing the Macintosh, and Apple had introduced the Apple III before I came, and it failed. And they had introduced Lisa, and it was in the process of failing. And so the reason I was brought in was they realized that the only source of cash flow for Apple for the next three years, because the Macintosh would have to be introduced and it wouldn't make money for several years, was going to be the Apple II. So I didn't have to know anything about computers, which I didn't know very much about. Uh, I was a marketing person. And and I had to help turn the Apple II around and to turn it into a strong cash machine because it was going to be the only source of cash flow for Apple for the next three years. The other reason I was recruited to Apple was because Steve Jobs was convinced that 
high technology was going to have to learn how to market like consumer products, Pepsi and Coke. And he was interested in creating tools for non-technical people. And this was what was going to be known as desktop publishing with the Macintosh. And so he wanted to learn the kind of things we were doing with big campaigns like Pepsi Challenge, which was all about what we called in those days, Jack, experience marketing. And the Mac was going to be, as Steve would say, you know, an insanely great experience for non-technical people. So that was kind of the landscape as I joined Apple. Uh, it was a pivotal moment that uh, we had to, to reinvigorate the Apple II, and when the Mac came out, we had to launch it uh, in a very unique way. John, you were there 10 years, which I think, uh, looking back, sometimes it's forgotten, a 10-year stretch. You took this company from a $500 million company to a multi-billion dollar company. How large was it uh, when you left Apple? Well, when I came, it was $564 million in revenue. When I left, it was $8.3 billion. Uh, Apple went, as I said, we were uh, number five in the market in terms of uh, our position in, in market share. And when I left, uh, Apple was the largest selling hardware PC in the world, uh, the uh, Macintosh. And uh, we had $2 billion of cash on the balance sheet and $200 billion of debt. Uh, I left over a, a dispute with the executive team and the board. I was actually pushed out uh, because there was concern in 1993 that the Windows uh, uh, software and the Intel microprocessor uh, were going to really take over the world in the 1990s and that there was a lot of concern at Apple that uh, we should license our technology for the Mac. I was completely opposed to that. I thought that would uh, you know, risk the company going into bankruptcy because and, and, I didn't see how you could possibly grow the market share of the company from what was then 8.3% market share worldwide to something over 20% that we would need just to break even if we licensed the software. So uh, I was pushed out. They uh, brought in another CEO. Um, he was fired in a few years as after they licensed the technology. They brought in another CEO uh, who uh, tried to save the company. Um, he eventually uh, sold the, some of the technology we had developed for a new company, new product line we had developed called Newton and got $800 million for it and that kept the doors open and he used that to buy Steve Jobs' company called Next, brought Steve back and you know the rest of the story. Steve Jobs came in, canceled the licensing which was a mistake and uh, that was his first decision and uh, Steve did a miraculous job. No one but Steve Jobs could have revived Apple when he came in but that was four years after I had left. For CFO Thought Leader, this is Jack Sweeney. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Hi, it's Jack Sweeney with a quick note that CFO Thought Leader now has a quarterly print magazine. That's right, print. Each issue will profile 25 different CFOs. Let me repeat that. 25 CFOs. Other uh, print publications are lucky if they're able to bring you five CFOs per issue. What we understand is that you want to consume content in multiple ways. But wait a minute. There's something more here. 
we wanted this print magazine to be a podcast companion. So when you receive it, we want you to quickly thumb through it and maybe identify which episodes you have missed. We want you to dog ear those pages as well as uh, perhaps the pages that feature CFOs from episodes you already listened to but found maybe a little extra value from. 12 months later, you will have a library of 100 CFO profiles highlighted with your insights or comments alongside the CFO thought leaders. Now, how much are we charging for this one-of-a-kind 100 CFO profile library? Annual subscriptions are $119. We think that's reasonable. We thought about it a little bit, but that's that's what we came up with. Uh, visit us and subscribe to CFO Thought Leader magazine at cfothoughtleader.com, where the future of finance is listening. Thank you.